2: Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
3: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And our
5: compatriot Noel is away at the moment, but never fear, he will be returning very soon. In the meantime, they still call me Ben. We're here with our super producer, Paul and You are you, and that makes this Stuff They Don't
3: Want You to Know. Another person who works here, his name is Christopher Hasiotis. He's on the research team at... Stuff Media, I guess. Mm -hmm. How Stuff Works, Stuff Media. Mm -hmm. And he sent us something that we... He sent it to us yesterday, I think, or maybe Mm -hmm. the day before. Mm -hmm. And Ben and Noel and I all just went, Oh, this is an episode that we are producing right now. And we can't wait to get you into it, but we're not going to spoil it. (laughs) The first thing we're going to do is just talk about health. Yes, health. Medicine. What does it mean?
5: Yes, panaceas do they exist? What is the cure for what all ails you? I do want to say if you would like to hear some of Christopher's other works he is he is consistently recommending some great stories mm-hmm. for us to share on social media under our various conspiracy stuff monikers. Uh, you can also hear Christopher. Uh, semi live and definitely in person behind a hot mic, uh, by tuning into an excellent show that Lauren Vogelbaum produced called How Stuff Works Now. And it's sort of a cavalcade of very interesting stories. So do check that out. In the meantime, as Matt said, health. Yes. And I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, Matt, Matt, Matt,
3: Matt, Matt. Mm Mm-hmm. Ben, 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 (laughs)
5: Ben. When we, When we think about health in this day and age, you know, it's no secret that there are horrible, horrific things going on in the world. Yes, Zimbabwe, as we record this, is currently Mm -hmm. on the uh, – teetering even closer to the brink of – Destabilization. The
3: uh, earthquake in Iran-Iraq border there mm. just killed 500-something thousand – or 500 people.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, Puerto Rico also devastated by a hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killings in the United States. The Pacific uh, – the the Pacific region, the Pacific theater mm-hmm. is uh, inching closer and closer to a nuclear exchange. But despite all of these horrible things – oh, and someone keeps making Transformer movies. <sighs>
3: Paul, looking at you.
5: (laughs) No, no, no. Actually, I I watched Transformer movies too. Uh, But despite these horrific things, which are not jokes, and the terrible jokes we make about terrible things, you have to sit back and admit, overall, we as a species have it pretty good right now, especially in a medical sense.
3: I mean, absolutely. Can Mm. you imagine getting sick 500 years ago? Even a 100 years ago, getting sick to the point of needing, let's say, a surgeon. Oh, boy. Yeah.
5: Yeah, and depending on, uh, depending on how far back in the timeline we go, uh, needing a surgeon becomes increasingly disturbing. It's the worst. You know, it's like the old story about barber poles and how they came about. You remember that, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So way back in the day in Western Europe – uh, there was this concept that barbers were also inherently qualified to be surgeons. The argument being that, well, if they can figure out how to cut your hair, they should be capable of cutting anything else. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of people died. A lot of good people died. Probably some bad ones too.
3: Yeah, straight razors could be used for a lot of things.
5: Absolutely. And if we were to attempt to describe all the medical advancements made from just 1917 to 2017, we would have to start an entirely different show. And Paul, Matt, and I would have to go somewhere and brainstorm uh, a title that was better than all the medical advancements made from 1917 to 2017. The
3: podcast. I don't know. I'm kind of digging that.
5: Uh, you know, I think it's a cool idea, but that name is way too long.
3: I think that's what makes it special.
5: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. Uh, Nomenclature aside, it is an important perspective to consider Mm -hmm. when we think about this. We can look at it another way, too. We can look at it in a different direction and ask ourselves, what will people living in 2117 think of the medical technology and techniques used today in our time here in good old 2017? Whoa. What essentially will be the future of medicine?
3: Well – I mean, I have some ideas, but, y- you know, you know me, it gets a little dark, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's okay. I, I'm always thinking about integrating man and machine and how that's going to become the new normal. But just to get this out of the way at front, sure, we know that this can be a touchy subject anytime you're talking about health.
5: Because you're also inherently talking about mortality.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, that is the one thing we all have in common. Uh, but... We want to be clear, we're not doctors. Ben and I have no, you know, physician background, anything like that. We don't have degrees in mm-hmm. any of that. Uh, so we're not dispensing any kind of medical, to, uh, medical, uh, advice to you. We're not trying to tell you how to think about this stuff. We're just gonna tell it how it is pretty much.
5: Well, for the record, I do know first aid, so.
3: Oh, hey, me too. CPR and everything? Yeah,
5: so if you meet, if you meet us, and, and I assume Paul does as well. No, okay, alright, okay, Got Don't go to
3: Paul if you're choking. No,
5: it's cool because we hang out outside of work and so if you, if you happen to see us in person, uh, we can, you know, reset your disjointed or dislocated yeah. arm <laughs> yeah. or make a splint for you or something. But, uh, yeah, we are not giving anyone medical advice. Yeah,
3: and if you have a compound fracture, don't call me.
5: Okay, <laughs> go to, go to Ben with compound fractures. Yeah. Alright. So we've established that here are the facts. Here's, here's the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. Over the span of human civilization, we have been making scientific advancements that later become medical advancements or medical breakthroughs, right? Yeah,
3: every time we make a mistake in some field in some way, we learn from it and we don't do it again. Well, in theory.
5: And the weird thing is that these Discoveries do not exist in a vacuum. There's a bit of a positive feedback loop that took a long time to get running. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of a snowball effect that started rolling very slowly at first. But now it is no secret that the pace of medical advancement itself, just what uh, some of our bosses like to call the cadence of this advancement, it's accelerating. It's increasing. In an article for Forbes, uh, Scott Gottlieb notes – We've got a quote here. The pace at which fundamental discoveries of basic science are being uncovered is accelerating, as is the speed at which medical practice is being transformed by these inventions. Metamorphic changes, Gottlieb says, are sweeping a wider breadth of clinical areas more regularly than at any time in the history of science. Wow.
3: That's inspiring.
5: It is in a, in a very real, literal way. Time is accelerating in the medical field. Wow. I mean saying that does have sort of a buzzfeedy yeah, headline to it. Uh-huh. Uh but it is true. In the past, you you know the first question is well well what gives? What made us such a uh, plodding Peters <laughs> <laughs> or, or Stumbling Stevens earlier. I'm yeah, just making up names.
3: No worries. The the plotting, stumbling Peter Stevens It had a lot to do with communication and how much it cost both in in real time mm-hmm. and in materials to send messages uh, to someone, especially if you're sending it further away than inside your town or something.
5: Right. Yeah. We've we've mentioned this in past episodes. Long-time listeners are probably familiar with this concept. And Matt's, Matt's spot on. When we say cost of communication, we don't necessarily mean how much did it, how, how much of whatever the currency at the time was, did it take for you to send a message or, it's not just that. It yeah, it's is, not
3: about your Xfinity account cost. Right, per month. right.
5: It's, it is, as Matt said, time and materials and time is the primary factor here. So not only could people not learn about a treatment on the internet, ha, which is its whole other mm-hmm. whole other sack of cats, but oh gosh, for much of human civilization, books themselves were also incredibly rare and literacy rates were tremendously low.
3: Yeah, so even if you could communicate like easily and effectively, maybe the person you're writing to can't understand you, or maybe you can't understand.
5: And most people lived and died within uh, a relatively small number of miles from yeah. where
3: they were born. You know? so, so let's imagine that you're a patient uh, back in these days, and you were trying to get information about, you know, what's wrong with me. My mm. leg really hurts, and mm. there's some kind of hole in there, but I can't figure out what's going on. I don't know what it is. How do I find out? Well, that whole thing where you can't communicate very well doesn't only apply to you, the patient. It applies to the physician that you would want to go and see. Mm Mm-hmm. So here's the other thing. These physicians, you know, they're across the world and there are medical advancements happening in different pockets, in different, you know, parts of civilization. Sure. And when you can't communicate between, let's say, Britain and Italy, they're not gonna know the advancements that are occurring on the other side. They can't compare notes. Exactly. So it's having to develop almost in isolation un- until you have, you know, someone who takes a ship, let's say, across from Italy to Britain mm. and spend some time in London or something.
5: Right, or some sort of emissary is exploring for a different, for a different reason. Then they also happen to know something very obvious to them that is unknown to the people at the time. For instance, uh, the idea that uh, consuming citrus fruits when possible on a a long uh, maritime voyage will combat scurvy. Right? Yeah. And there, I'm sure there there were uh, a lot of people at the time. Who didn't know that many? Because they would never ride a boat. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> but the, um, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. The important part is just as you said, Matt, which is that these things are developing in isolation, and mm. the um, pace of communication did exist, but it was glacial. Yes, compared to what we have today. Physicians might also, it must be said, be bound by spiritual or religious explanations for an ailment. You did not get. The plague because of a bite from a flea that mm-hmm. was carried by a rat. You got the plague because you ate meat on Friday and are therefore ungodly. Because you could have bought an indulgence or a dispensation, but you didn't. Oh, so for, I knew I messed up for the sin of not participating in extortion. You have the plague.
3: But, uh, <laughs> but should we put in uh, a disclaimer here? We're not telling you what to believe, but. You know, think with your head. All right.
5: <laughs> Boy. Well, this is – that's not a ding on – um that's not a ding on the concept of spiritual or religious explanations for an ailment, which, you know, in some cases exists today. It's, it's just, historical. Right. People are – as a species, we are explainers. We are classifiers. Mm-hmm. We seek to understand the inexplicable and the uh, incomprehensible. And so we have to find a cause. We have to have yeah. an if-then. The other thing that would happen is physicians might, aside from any ideological beliefs, and ideological is probably a better word than spiritual or religious uh, at this time. As- aside from that, in-, in a more secular way, they may cling to traditional beliefs despite indications that other treatments might be more effective, not to mention less dangerous. Like, yeah. the, Like for a long time, there was a concept that – Just by overwhelming evidence to the contrary, the consumption of mercury could possibly um, could possibly allow people to live for a longer span of time, as we know, and as was fairly apparent, right, to many observers even in the time when this belief was prevalent.
3: Especially after trying it for a little while.
5: Especially after trying it, as uh, we know now, that uh, consumption of mercury has the opposite effect. Yes. In a, to an extreme degree. Oh, side note, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you already know this one, so stop me if you've heard it. Okay. Do you remember, do you know why the Mad Hatter is in Alice in Wonderland? Do you know the story of Mad Hatters? Like
3: how he got there?
5: No, 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 just the phrase, Mad Hatter. I do not. So, uh, when these, uh, haberdashers would create or form hats, mm-hmm. again, Historically, they would use chemicals like mercury to assist in the, um, you know, solidifying the shape. Stiffening it. Right. And what happened is that over time, exposure to these chemicals started affecting the mental faculties of these hat makers, these haberdashers. And then the phrase mad as a hatter Wow. Originated from that. It's not a, it's not just a, a funny joke. Oh yeah. And March Hare, by the way, of course, being like spring reproductive mm. madness. But the, um, the interesting thing to me is that there was some point in time where somebody, probably in Europe, looked at someone else and they are like, Hey man, I'm worried about Steve. Like he's been acting real weird, and they're like, "Yeah, but his hat game is so on point."
3: Yeah, (laughs) and that's how you end up with stuff like mustard.
1: Don't let's be silly. (laughs)
5: That's perfect. It's a direct quote. That is a direct quote. (laughs) Yeah, mustard. That's not a serious condiment. Can you imagine? We don't really believe that. Don't send us hate hate (laughs) mail about mustard. So you see the problem here, folks. You see the dilemma. The There are multiple completely understandable reasons why the pace of medical treatment and medical breakthroughs is slow at this point in time. And we can journey through history and explore this relationship between just the – what we would call the pure scientific discovery Mm -hmm. and the medical applications. Paul, can we get like some sort of time travel noise? (sighs) Okay, there we go. We're, where are, where are we? We're in the 16th century. Okay, all right. We're in the 16th century. That's why everything looks so assassins' yeah. creedy right
3: now. I can hear the horses.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you can smell the smells. Mm-hmm. Right, potent. Mm-hmm. Yes, potent indeed, my friend. Uh, we are actually at the exact, well, the approximate moment in time where the concept of germ theory was first proposed
3: germ theory this is this is the idea that somehow disease whenever your body gets sick it's somehow linked to these tiny little things that we now know are microorganisms right
5: mhm invisible to the naked eye Ooh. so over the next few centuries now we're now we're traveling through centuries really quickly mm-hmm. over the next few centuries there would be additional discoveries that lent further credence to this concept.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: However, it wasn't until the 19th century that doctors, or the Western ones at least, even began washing their hands. What? At all. Uh, In- uh, what? Check it out, Matt. In 1847, a Hungarian physician named Ignaz Philipp Semmelweis proposed that uh, maternal death, death during childbirth, mm-hmm. could be sharply cut when obstetricians washed their hands before conducting, you know, before uh, oh, the – Yeah, I, I've seen birth. it, dude. That's right. You have.
3: Yeah. Spe- you can't unsee that.
5: <laughs> Specifically, they recommend a, a chlorinated lime solution.
3: That miracle. You can't unsee that miracle. Oh, man. Are you all right? You need <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I just had a flashback, but we're we're good. Um, but that's, it seems so simple.
5: Right. Yeah, it does seem pretty simple. Uh here's what happened to
3: Ignaz. Well, nobody took this guy seriously. He was ridiculed for having this belief and for in his mind figuring out, "Oh, this might be the problem." Uh his colleagues just just ribbed him the whole time. He died in an asylum in 1865 where he was put involuntarily. Yeah. Because he was crazy telling people to wash their hands all How the time. dare you
5: tell me to wash my hands like some kind of peasant doing laundry?
3: Get out of here, Semmelweis. Go back to your room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, that was only two weeks after guards, uh, let's just say they beat him up. They beat him up to an inch of his life.
5: Look, I'm, I I think we should use an accurate description, and okay. it's fine to beat me if you want. They beat the ever-living shit out of him. In 1865, he died two weeks after this vicious beating. Only later, much later, did history acknowledge his prescience.
3: Yeah, his understanding. And, uh man, this guy could have saved a whole... Well, he did save a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. But ultimately... He was just persecuted for it.
5: And Louis Pasteur, around somewhere at the same time, confirmed the germ theory in the 1860s. And then a few years after that, Joseph Lister began introducing sterile techniques into surgery. And
3: ah, you don't have to just wash your hands. You wash your implements, too.
5: You mean like a peasant doing laundry? <laughs> I'm just imagining why would you get so angry about this idea? Because – you know, we have the privilege of retrospect yeah. now, and it is an immense and powerful privilege because, you know, the average person living in the U.S. washes their hands multiple times a day, right?
3: Thanks to Pasteur. And, and I wonder if it's just the – at the time, it was the implication that this physician is dirty in some way or this physician mm-hmm. – you know, this physician's tools are unclean. Right. You know?
5: So it wasn't until much, much later that these original findings began to significantly impact medical practice. And the experimental methods, the lab tools, the scientific insights were finally at hand, not only to explain how germs caused disease, but to explain how this, uh, how this process could be mitigated or somewhat controlled to help patients. And all in all... This took about 300 years, from the 16th century to the 19th century.
3: And this is just one discovery. And each single one leads to other discoveries. And so as long as there aren't, you know, any kind of giant asteroids that impact the Earth or some other catastrophe, and we'll just cross our fingers that uh, nothing's going to happen in the next few hours here, uh, it, it makes sense for our species to discover and apply all these new technologies at an increasingly rapid pace especially you take into that communication thing now now that i can get on this laptop here and shoot an email email off to anybody anywhere in the entire planet that has access to the internet i mean we can do this
5: right so yes okay it's true it took 300 years for the world to agree that doctors should wash their hands but <laughs> By way of contrast, it only took 30 years for modern scientific work on immune cells to translate into the development of some of the world's most powerful, most efficacious drugs. However, mm-hmm. this is not all uh, warm fuzzies, hugs from grandma, fresh cookies, unicorns, and
3: rainbows. Yeah, it's not even rickshaws, stiff drinks, and lava lamps.
5: No, sir. As uh, You see, along with the increase in effectiveness, we are also, as a... Species Mm -hmm. seeing unequal access to medicine, rising costs, especially in the field of proprietary biotech or drugs, and we're seeing increasingly disturbing possibilities for the future of patient privacy.
3: And we're not even getting into healthcare costs in the United States, which is a whole other thing.
5: We'll inevitably be
3: called to make an update for that one. Pretty soon, too, with uh, what's going on. But Mm -hmm. these concerns that Ben's talking about, about privacy, they – they are particularly strange.
5: Yes. Uh, long-time listeners, fellow conspiracy realists, you've heard us explore the erosion of privacy of multiple fields, from the world's governments to its grocery stores and even unto the phone you may be using to listen to this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. But it goes deeper than that. The future of medicine, you see, is upon us.
3: Digital medicine.
5: Welcome to the rabbit hole. Don't worry.
3: We'll monitor your vitals. While this handy message from our sponsor invades your head holes.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK. LASIK.com.
1: Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
1: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist
2: and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert.
0: It's a shame, you know, that they took him from us
4: I thought they were going to kill me. So I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say
2: anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For.
5: here's where it gets crazy
3: in a recent article for the new york times dated uh, november 13th actually of this year right before we recorded this podcast a journalist named pam billock Bellick, let's say, explores the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA's decision to approve a, quote, digital pill. Mm. Oh, boy. A medicine containing a sensor that can tell doctors when and if a patient is taking their medicine.
5: You may be asking, uh, what sort of pill are we talking? This choice was very interesting to us because the pill in question is a variant of a name brand antipsychotic, Abilify. Abilify.
3: Yes, and this product is approved for the treatment of schizophrenia, acute treatment of manic and mixed episodes associated with bipolar 1 disorder, and for use as an add-on treatment for depression in adults. The
5: FDA granted the approval of Abilify MySight to Otsuka
3: Pharmaceutical Company Limited. And the sensor technology and the patch are made by this company called Proteus Digital Health. What's that you say? A smart pill? Well, how does it work? Well, let me tell you. The patient takes a pill, you see. That makes sense. Then the pill sensor tracks that it's been ingested. Okay. Then that pill sends a signal to a patch worn by the patient. Then the patch sends a signal to a mobile application that allows patients to track their medication use. And here's where it gets really interesting. Hmm. Um. For people who are thinking already, oh, my God, my alarm's going off. I don't like this concept at all. I'm not even ever going to use this, but I hate this idea. Hmm. Well, the patient has to give permission to the caregiver or to the physicians to access the information. And they do that through a a web-based portal. But in theory, your privacy is not immediately being uh, hacked just by taking the pill itself. For now. However – if you are a patient going through, you know, uh, schizophrenia, manic and mixed episodes, bipolar disorder, um, serious depression, making those kind of decisions become a little harder and uh, it, it's a little more gray.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And for proponents – this pill, this specific mm-hmm. variant of Abilify, is just one more contribution to the growing wave of monitoring techniques and technologies used to address one of medicine's primary woes, which I was not fully aware
3: of. Man, I didn't understand this either.
5: Patience. You see, apparently have a real devil of a time taking their medication on a schedule and in the manner prescribed by their doctor or a health provider. What does that mean? That means that, let's say, you have uh, poison ivy. You've got poison ivy really bad. And yeah. they – So they prescribe to you a blister pack that is essentially a steroid treatment. Mm -hmm. And you have to take X number of pills the first day, Y number of pills the next day, and so on and so forth until uh, your poison ivy is gone. You have learned your lesson. Go in peace and do not touch strange plants again. (laughs) Yes.
3: Well? Yes, and this is a – like Ben said, a big – Issue for the healthcare industrial complex, let's call it. Um, <laughs> so, what they they call it? Patient non adherence to prescribed medication. That's like the long way about it. And it's associated with all kinds of things. Um, poor outcomes for you know being prescribed prescribed medication that's supposed to do something. Well, it doesn't happen if you don't take the medication correctly. Um, it's associated with progression of diseases because. Again, it's not being treated properly Mm -hmm. and it's got a huge estimated uh, burden of billions of dollars on uh, the healthcare industry. Like it it costs billions of dollars because Mm. people don't take their medications correctly. That was mind-blowing to me.
5: Didn't you have the – didn't you dig up the the stat there, the estimate that between 100 and 300 billion dollars – have been attributed to this?
3: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just in the U.S. specifically, and you're talking about a privatized healthcare system. But still, that represents 3 to 10% of the total United States healthcare costs.
5: So what are the top reasons that people don't
3: take the the medicine they're prescribed? Uh, well, according to uh, this one academic paper that was referencing several uh, different, I guess, polls, um Number one is forgetfulness. Number two is side effects or perceived side effects. Uh, number three is high drug costs. Like, it costs way too much for me to take all these pills. I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to separate it out a little more than what's prescribed.
5: And that statistic is probably going to increase in the U.S.
3: Oh, absolutely. And then um, number four was just that the drug does little to nothing to actually affect what I'm going through.
5: Is that... Is that a self-report on the patient's part?
3: These are all self-reports, yeah. This is what patients say about why they're not taking their medication.
5: So maybe just to be completely clear with everyone, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we should say the patient believes the drug does little.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nothing. Yeah, the, that is all um, – yeah, patient belief, mm-hmm. all that stuff. The patient believes the drug cost is too high according to their budget. The patient believes the side effects – are happening to them, you know, according to them.
5: You know, it seems strange, doesn't it? Because Mm -hmm. while we know that there are multiple cases of Terrible situations happening when people are overprescribed, mm-hmm. you know, when someone takes a drug for condition A but it produces a side effect and they have to take a drug for that side effect and exactly. then have to take another drug for that side effect.
3: You end up with this giant cocktail of drugs you're taking in side effects.
5: Mm-hmm. And although we know that happens, in my case – I feel like if I already went – I don't want to sound too Larry David about okay. this, but, like, if I already had to take some time off from work and I had to go to a doctor's office and I might have had to pay to park, it was this whole thing, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then they prescribe some sort of medication for a cold or whatever, I'm going to trust them and I'm going to probably take it unless it's something really weird, you know?
3: Alright, we're gonna we're gonna do the first ever episode of Honesty Corner with Matty Fred. Uh and here it goes. (laughs) Uh, I have a bad back. I've had it for a long time. I just have back pain. It's it works fine. It does everything I need it to do. I can still lift heavy stuff, but man does it hurt. It's the only bad thing about you, by the way. Oh stop it. Well, <laughs> well, I've, you know, been to several uh, physicians and talked about this, finding ways to uh, help me, and I was once prescribed this drug called Soma, which is a, mus- a muscle relaxer, and I was told to take it and then come back and see them and see if anything happened, but I chose not to after researching the drug, um, and its side effects and what it does to you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, in this case it was a physician trying to give me a medication that would make me feel better for my ailment but I as the patient chose not to mm-hmm. um, and I wonder I wonder oh gosh I just uh, contributed to the several billion dollars oh yeah in healthcare costs that's on you now Oy.
5: <laughs> so uh it, it's true though there there are these honest concerns and mm-hmm. they, they come from a very valid place right and it's not only is it very difficult and ill-informed to call one group of people in this argument the bad guys, quote-unquote, and another group the good guys, it's also unethical mm-hmm. because there are situations where, uh okay, just a, a little bit of a weird comparison if you're mm-hmm. cool with it, Matt. So, I've always thought that Your body, you listening to this, specifically you, your body is a lot like a car. And, you know, if you own a car for a while, you are probably, and you drive it every day, you might not be a mechanic – but you know your particular car yes. very, very well. Definitely. And you know when, you know, second gear slips a little. Uh, you know that you might have to give it a little extra gas on a cold day and when to check the tires and that one door doesn't quite line up, but you remember what, you know, that you hit something in that parking lot or whatever, mm-hmm. you know your car. And the thing is, in many ways, even if you are not a mechanic, even if you are not a doctor – your body is going to be the body you know the best. The mm-hmm. car you know the best because you only get out of it once when you die. Yeah. So, well,
3: well. Okay. There are ways. Okay,
5: okay. <laughs> You're right. And I'm glad you said that. All right. So some people will tell you you can sneak out of your car occasionally. Yeah. Right? Under I've heard certain tell. circumstances yes yeah well I think it's I think the concept of remote viewing or accidental astral travel as an experience a subjective mm-hmm. experience I think it's way more common than it's often reported and in fact if I recall we did a couple of episodes on this or we did uh, aspects of it anyway you know you're uh, the car that you only get out of permanently once.
3: Yes, and with the advancement of technology, perhaps we'll be able to just jump cars whenever we feel like it or get a flying car.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, you want to ride this comparison? <laughs> yeah. into the sunset? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so before we take uh, the body as car analogy on, a, on our long road trip, we should talk about um, the opponents here. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we, we just did that extended comparison yeah. to say – in defense of, of people who have decided that they are not going to take a uh, particular medication because, you know, they have any number of valid reasons. One might be that they have an incurable condition mm-hmm. that um, they would rather live with uh then uh suffer from the side effects of the medication they're supposed to be taking, right? Yeah. Uh and it goes back to their perception of their own quality of life. But again, they are not they are not medical professionals, often, right? Mm-hmm. But now that we've established that, we should look at the opponents of this um, of this emerging technology. Yeah,
3: specifically of digital medicine in general. Right. Um you know, one of the, one of the biggest issues I've seen is that the amount of money that this would save and the benefit, I guess, benefit to cost ratio in all the varying ways this will cost us <laughs> as humans. And you know, as a, a private company selling a technology as well, it doesn't balance out. Like, they don't think this is the solution to get people patients to take their medicine. Mm. Just just by having the ability to track the medication doesn't mean that the person is going to take it. It'll, it me, it'll help the physician know if they get access to the information that the patient's not taking their medicine.
5: Oh, I see. Because for right now, it's opt-in yeah, on the part of the patient.
3: It's opt-in and it's, you know, I... I...
5: And then it'll turn into opt-out and then yeah. a few years from now um maybe even before your son is in his 20s it's mandatory. going yeah it's going to be strange if it doesn't have some if a medicine doesn't have some sort of tracer yeah it's possible it's it, it's quite possible at this point opponents do argue that this is another case of the erosion of privacy mm-hmm. and one of the big sticking points is um going to be familiar to a lot of people in any Medicine related field, uh, one of the big sticking points is the, uh, sale of your, the most personal of your personal information to third parties. These could be advertisers. These could be insurance companies. Mm -hmm. These could be employers. These could be banks. Banks. Yeah, that's another good call. Uh, this could be, these could be any number of people and unless laws change, you will never know. Until maybe your, uh, maybe your bank turns down a loan. Yeah. Or maybe you suddenly get a higher interest rate or a number of things that would be seemingly inexplicable or out of the blue begin to occur to you. And then you have to sort of be like, uh, what's his name? Guy Pearson memento and work yes. backwards and just put the pieces together to figure out what happened, mm-hmm. who, who sold this and why and again unless the laws change you will also not be given a cut no of what they sell and we we do want to be clear right now right now the party line is that this information is going to be somehow anonymous right and it's just to it's just to aggregate a data set to build better predictions and see general trends.
3: I think it goes a little further than that, Ben. I think it's a a system that we set up to where only your phone is going to get the information unless you send it out to anybody else. So I guess it would be kind of like – I'm trying to find an analogy for this. Mm -hmm. But taking a picture. Every time you take one of these pills, it's like taking a picture. And unless you decide to send it to – you know your doctor or your friends. Nobody is gonna know about it unless they hack your phone.
0: Hmm. I
3: guess is the way I'm imagining it, or the server of the company Proteus that's making the software.
5: Right. That's that's the question. You know, and that's that's the concern. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a government or whether it's a private entity, the question remains the same: who watches the watchers? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who holds the powerful accountable? and this may seem like a little bit of alarmism perhaps uh this may seem like a little bit of a doom and gloom for something that is inarguably a good thing right yeah. especially according to the proponents because the you know it goes back to the idea that this could save lives and we know that continual monitoring has already existed, right, mm-hmm. uh, for anybody with a Fitbit or some sort of app on your phone that tells you to um, quit smoking or to count your calories or to make sure that you take a minimum of 10,000 steps a day, we know that this stuff already exists. This is a step to put it inside you, and right now it's a simple check-in system, mm-hmm. right? It's so. For instance, right now there is nothing to stop someone if they, for some reason, said, "You know what? I'm going to take six of these pills because woo, whatever. And I'm going to share it with my doctor, and they need to know that you know, I'm I'm taking them this way. Mm-hmm. There's nothing physically stopping it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, there's not a mechanism
3: to, to... prevent the release, maybe of the. Sure.
5: Shrink? Yeah. Like, what if? What if this? Sort of technology became mandatory and not opt-in and was applied to legally prescribed opiates, right? Which That's are interesting. very dangerous and addictive substances. So then you would be in a situation, especially if you had a past history of abuse, where you would be monitored to make sure that not only did you take it, at whatever pill you're prescribed mm-hmm. at 3pm or something, But that you only take it then. Yeah. And that you don't take two or three or whatever. And then also to make sure that that ping happens every number of times, uh, one per pill, Mm -hmm. right? So that they know you're not selling it on the black market. Yeah. You see, what starts as a very little helpful thing does indeed have wide reaching implications.
3: Oh yeah, I've got two examples right here. So if each one has a specific, let's say MAC address, it's not gonna a MAC address, <laughs> but each one has a specific serial number or something, each pill. Sure. Then you will know if someone sells their pills and to whom sells those pills if you, you know, are tracking the ingestion of these. Mm-hmm. That could get really interesting in the future. And another thing was uh overdoses you if you could find a way to control the release mechanism you could prevent overdosing of practically anything that isn't injectable
5: mhm yeah and
3: like that's the silver lining i'm i'm saying
5: totally because for proponents of this trend make no mistake it is a trend this is mm-hmm. not the last you're going to hear about this technology in for proponents of this it, that just seems like another good thing, another tick in the, uh, box of pros. Yeah. Because you're saying, oh, we could stop drug dealers. Yeah. We could maybe combat at some level, uh, what are they called? Pill mills. Yeah. It's tough for me to say that because, uh, different accents I have come out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, uh.
3: Of course, I just have yeah. to say at that point, if you want to, oh, no, I'm telling people, how to do All black right, go, market stuff. Go for it. But you would just, depending on what the pill's made out of, I'm assuming it can't be indestructible because you have to process it through your body. Sure. But you just get the pills and then break them up and then, you know, leave out the sensors.
5: Oh, I see. Change the method of delivery. Yeah, I'm
3: just saying that there, it, but I think that's a problem that humanity a lot of times uh, forgets when we're trying to solve these huge problems, mm-hmm. uh, when you're trying to deal especially with substance abuse of any kind, m- mankind is very inventive. Sure. And we'll find a way. <laughs> I,
5: I mean, that's just... Alright, but you you owe it to everybody, Paul and I included, to do a gold bloom version of that one.
3: A gold bloom version of that one?
5: Of that line.
3: I don't know if I have a gold bloom. I don't think I can do it.
5: Yeah, you can. Gold bloom's like, Life, uh, uh, finds a way <laughs> or something. I think it's more about the cadence. Can I you do it.
3: that? Can you do that one? You That was it. That
5: too. was it. Swing and a miss. All right. Whiffed pretty hard on that one. I enjoyed it a lot. That's very kind. You're a very kind person. Uh, so there's another thing we could say here too, Matt. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, um, the question would be, so we're talking about changing the means of delivery mm-hmm. or we're talking about somehow removing the sensor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Another option, at least in this case, this variant of Abilify, would be to remove the patch. Yes. Because the patch is the means of transmission for the app on the phone and later the web portal. Mm -hmm. That might work. However, this variant of Abilify is only one instance of a larger sea change or medical advancement, right? That is probably past the point of no return at this time. So what else is out there? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a
1: ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
2: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert.
0: It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us
2: I thought they were going to kill me. So
4: I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say
2: anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
6: or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For.
5: okay so let's say hypothetically matt
1: Mm -hmm.
5: you said you don't know me you can't run my business i'll take the drugs i want when i want them
3: hey man you don't know me i'm gonna take the drugs i want on my time and my schedule all right (laughs)
5: <laughs> yeah that's good i didn't want to i was going soft on a southern accent there because i i didn't want to offend you but uh i think you nailed it
3: you know it just it, it lives inside me and mm-hmm. sometimes it escapes
5: mm-hmm. that's how i feel about some things too yeah moving on <laughs> there's no need to get get into uh those sorts of episodes yet we'll wait until next Halloween,
3: maybe. So uh, you're you're telling me you yeah. left me on a cliffhanger here. It's true. You said before we went to the break mm-hmm. that there are other people making digital drugs.
5: Oh yes, yes, of course. Uh, a Florida company named e RX is making another sort of sensor, ingestible sensor. Theirs is called the ID Cap. And as we record this, it has already been tested or it's being tested on a number of different drugs, including opioids and HIV medication. Here's how it works. It's made of magnesium and silver chloride, and it's encapsulated with pills, and you don't need a patch because the entire time it's inside the body, as it's being ingested, it generates a low-power radio signal that can be picked up by a little antenna if it's near you. What? Yep. And, uh, that's, that's according to Harry Travis, the president of Etect RX. They are currently seeking FDA clearance for this application in 2018. And of course, FDA applications are notoriously difficult unless you know the right people and, uh, you know, have the right political connections.
3: Um, hold on a second. Yeah. I just thought of something. With these new digital pills, does that mean we will all be pooping out tiny little sensors every time we go to the bathroom?
5: I mean that's the dream, right?
3: Like especially <laughs> –
5: <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not the dream.
3: <laughs> but especially if you're taking multiple medications, each of them having a sensor, your bowel movement is going to be 20 percent metal and and microelectronics.
5: 20%. <laughs> well, I mean
3: depending because you're talking about a 24-hour period anyway. All right. Well, I'm that, just saying we're pooping a lot of metal stuff out.
5: So this might sound comedic of us and to a degree it is, right?
3: We're talking about poop.
5: Yeah, the future of weird defecation. That's, that's something that concerns a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we earned that joke because we talked about fecal matter transplants once years ago and we both kept a like a straight – Straight-laced, yeah. serious tone the whole way through.
3: Seriously, I don't even think we mentioned pooping back and forth forever. <laughs> well, we, we have now.
5: Okay. And, uh, but even, even though it does feel comedic and to, to a degree it is, it, what we're seeing is that every time there's a medical advancement, there are inherently going to be ripple effects. Many of which, not all, but many of which are going to be unpredictable, right? right? Mm-hmm. And some of which may be very dangerous. Now back when it took us as a species 300 years to figure out things that seem simple today, uh, we had a little bit more buffer time collectively. We had a little bit more of a, of a margin, uh, in which to experience these implications and these ripple effects as they rolled out. Okay, yeah. But now with this increasing frequency, medical advancements which again barring an asteroid, a gamma ray burst, a coronal mass ejection, then unless something destroys civilization as we understand it, this pace is going to continue increasing and there are going to be um, smaller and smaller windows of time to analyze, address and if necessary mitigate these ripple effects. We are right now on the bleeding edge of not only the future of medicine, but also the future of monitoring.
3: Yes, absolutely. And I, for one, have played entirely too many video games uh, to be okay with this. Looking at you, Deus Ex, specifically looking at you, I – I completely understand the goals set out by the healthcare industry, reduce cost and get patients to take their medicines so we can actually help people. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I I would argue that the cost is probably the most important thing for the healthcare industry, at least in the United States. Mm. Um, But I'm not sure that trackable medicine really is the answer, but I do agree with you, Ben, like this is a good stepping point in, you know, the, the way we're going to get to the better, future, the better medicine. Mm. It's You can definitely see the linkage there to how it can help. But right now, I guess you just have to take that step in order to get there. I think you do. Yeah, you have to.
5: Right, okay. But it
3: still bothers me because it feels like it's something ripped out of a science fiction novel or, again, Deus Ex that I don't want to be a part of.
5: What happened in Deus Ex?
3: That's just where humans and are becoming androids and replacing different parts of their body and upgrading and uh, humanity the state of humanity is really looked into
5: you're not gonna do that you're not gonna take some cyber implants
3: I you know I haven't decided yet philosophically I think it's if I could just take my brain uh-huh. my neuro like if you could map my brain out and then send that as a you know piece of software into a robot I'm okay with that I think really because I feel like I could live forever but having pieces of metal integrated into my body, I don't know, I wonder if Paul would, uh, like get electric eyes or something. He's, uh, he's saying maybe. He's giving a
5: probably not
3: shrug. Yeah. And he's
5: pointing to uh, his chest and saying pacemaker. Oh, okay, I see. You're saying that pacemakers already exist, so this is to some extent already happening.
3: Wow, we were like miming to each other through the, this is great. Well, off air, Paul did.
5: Paul did chime in, and well, we'd love you to chime in on air sometime. We'll see if we can convince him in a future episode.
3: Don't let him see behind the curtain. Ben. Well,
5: let us know if you want to hear what Paul sounds like, and if he is amenable to it, we will. We we will see. We will see for sure. But right now, we are uh, not fans of things being mandatory. We think that people should have agency. And the ability to make their own decisions. And it is true. Look, it is true, this is not an inherently evil thing. Yes. It just has implications. Yeah. Not to sound too much like Dennis. <laughs> the on,
3: implication.
5: On always sunny in Philadelphia, but yes, yes, it is true. Um, and I, I just want to list something that would be a very good uh, aspect of this. Imagine if we're talking about an elderly patient mm-hmm. who maybe has memory problems, right? and then has a regimen of multiple drugs that they okay. must take, this could save their lives. Yeah. This could easily, without a doubt, save their lives and maybe increase the quality of their life at the at the same time. But it still doesn't address the larger question, which is at what price progress? Yeah. We have established the frequency of significant medical advances is increasing. And – You know, on balance, overall, this looks to be a wonderful phenomenon. It has the potential to save lives, which is what medicine is supposed to be about, saving lives and increasing the quality of those lives until everybody finally hops out of their cars. Diseases that once ravaged entire communities can now be fixed with something as simple as a a a once-a-day pill schedule or a shot in the arm. But the problem is that with this stellar progress in the field of medicine... We do not see the same amount of progress, the same increasing advances or the frequency of advances in the halls of government, right? The yeah. people making the laws are still moving at the same pace. We don't see it in uh, the field of bioethics or ac- academia and philosophy. Uh, there are people who are tackling these problems conceptually, right, and in an applied manner, but the medicine is evolving faster than the social constructs that we have to address it or to handle it in the best possible way. And we want to hear from you. Are you for this? Are you against it? Do you think on balance, this it's better for this to exist? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it could be misused, abused somehow? And if so, in what way?
3: Yeah, do you think it could benefit your life in some way to be able to track the medications you take? Or are you nervous about... Metal in your poop. I mean, honestly, I am. We did we didn't prove that though, yet. I know. Maybe the sensors are made out of something else, something biological that breaks down. <laughs> I didn't see anything about that in the messaging from the website. But you know, perhaps.
5: <laughs> so we want to hear from you. This is typically the time where we would do a shout-out corner. Mm-hmm. However, as we are missing our uh our, our third half mm-hmm. we're we're going to hold because this this letter that we were going to read is is a very meaningful one that i think we may have teased in a previous episode yes solving some of the mysteries of georgia Guidestones. so we will wait until we are uh Voltroned, together captain planted it up in full force uh for that letter and for our shout out corner in the meantime you can find us on instagram you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter and uh you can write to us on all of those avenues with suggestions for stories with reactions uh, with stuff that you think your fellow listeners would be interested in hearing
3: it's really simple conspiracy at howstuffworks.com (sighs) Thank <sighs> you.
2: Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hi, this is Kurt Whitsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far...